0: So, you ready to ruin your life in five easy steps? This is what this whole series is going to be about, is we're going to teach you how to ruin your life in five easy steps. So, welcome to Metro. We're a modern, relevant, and different kind of a church, right? Aren't you glad you came? We're going to teach you how to ruin your life. No, seriously, what, what this series is really going to be about, it's going to be about teaching you how not to ruin your life. You knew that, right? That's the play on words, but... Uh, It's very easy to ruin your life. I don't know if you've you've noticed this or not, but it's not hard. It is very easy to ruin your life. And so what we're going to do is we're going to explore some of the easy ways to ruin your life. And so we're going to unpack this together in this brand new series we're starting today. If you don't know me, my name is Greg. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Metro, and we're so glad that you came today. Um, But this idea of ruining your life, it really is easy. easy. And if you've been around long enough, you figured this out. I mean, I I knew a couple of guys a few years back. Uh, They had some connections with an airport in the area, and they decided that they wanted to try to better their lives. And so they were tired of just the grind of everyday work. They decided they were going to try to start their own business. And they had some connections at an airport, and they decided they were going to put together a business proposal and see if they could get the contract using their connections, see if they could get the contract to do all the snow plowing and the uh, the salting and the clearing of the roads at the airport during the wintertime. And it was a great idea, and they, they thought because of these connections, they might actually be able to make it happen. So they set up some meetings, and they met with people at the airport, and they made a good pitch, a good proposal. But where it all came out was they said, all right, you got these connections, you got the right things in place, it's a good plan, you're offering a good price, but do you have the ability to make this happen? Do you have the financial assets? Do you have the equipment that you need? Are you really going to be able to pull this off? And so in order to be able to demonstrate that they had the ability to do this, they had to go and and basically liquidate their pensions, pool all their money together, put it all in one central business account to demonstrate that they had the ability to make this happen. And they went to this one final meeting, and sure enough, they got the contract. And they couldn't believe it. They were amazed and, and they were so excited about this because this contract was going to enable these two guys to make more money in four months than they could make in a whole year with their other jobs. And so they were so excited about it, they decided to quit their jobs, put all of their eggs in one basket, devote all of their energy into trying to build this business. The only problem is, one of the guys had a drug problem. And every time he had access to any money, he ended up relapsing over and over and over again. It was a pattern in his life. And sure enough, this guy ended up siphoning all the money out of the bank account, blew it all on women and drugs. And when it came time to actually go buy the equipment, there was no money in the account. And the whole thing fell apart and the business never happened. And it was devastating to these two guys' lives. The first guy, I mean, again, they, they quit their jobs. Now they were unemployed. They had no money left. And this guy wasted it all on women and drugs. And what ended up happening to this guy is within a matter of months, he was actually convicted and put in prison for rape. The second guy, you can imagine how devastated he was, all his dreams. But you know, where he went wrong, that second guy, where he went wrong was getting into the partnership with the wrong guy, right? I mean, he knew this guy had a drug problem. He knew he had this habit and recurring pattern in his life. Every time he had money, he started to ruin his life. And yet for some reason, this guy still went into this partnership, still started this bank account, and gave this guy access to the money. And it was the first in a string of bad decisions where the second guy's life went from bad to worse, because he was just devastated by this. And the fallout from it in his own life is he started drinking heavily. He became an alcoholic, ended up losing his driver's license, and, and ended up where his job was to be the janitor at a local strip club. I mean, this guy just went from a string of bad decisions in his life caused him to become just a man who was broke and broken. And I know this because I watched it happen firsthand. See, the second guy's name was Jim Kahalen. He was my father. It was very difficult to watch my dad systematically just ruin his life. You know, you think about this for a minute, and it gets interesting to try to figure out you know, the impact of a story like that on someone's life. And that's why we're doing this whole series because here, here's the basic takeaway from my dad's story early in his life is all it takes is one bad decision, one thoughtless moment, one foolish choice to start you on a path that leads to ruin in your life. Now, I'm going to come back to my dad's story a little bit later in the message, but think about the impact that those kind of foolish choices have on a person's life And so this series, we're going to talk about ruin your life in five easy steps because it doesn't take long to realize it's easy to ruin your life. Failure is easy. Success is hard. And so what we're going to explore in this series, we're going to explore why it is that so many people's dreams don't come true, right? We're going to explore why it is that so many seemingly normal and intelligent people, they just end up a complete mess. I mean, do you know anybody like this? Seemingly normal, intelligent people, they end up a complete mess relationally, financially, emotionally, spiritually. They just end up ruining their lives. And sometimes it just starts small with some simple bad choice. It starts a process in their life. Now, when you think about what it means to be successful in life, think about this the, the difference between success and failure in life, and what it means to be successful. Right? There are a lot of different opinions on what this means. If you were to try to define success, you get as many different opinions probably as there are people, because everybody's definition is a little bit different. The definition of success is a very personal thing. For some people, success is just being happy. If they're happy, they're successful. For other people, it's defined as accomplishing certain goals. So they're only a success if they can accomplish these goals they've set for themselves. Other people define it as making life better for the people around them. Right? There is success if they make someone's life a little more bearable, a little easier to live. Other people define it in terms of money and possessions. Right? If you've got a lot of money, you got a lot of possessions, you're successful. But the, the problem I have with most of these definitions of success is they all ignore one of the common denominators of human experience, something we all have to deal with. Most of these definitions ignore it, and it has nothing to do with taxes because taxes is one of the things you can't avoid, but there's a second thing you can't avoid, and what is it? You're going to die. Hey, have you ever just had a moment in your life, like maybe you were at a funeral or something, and you saw somebody in the casket, and you just it dawned on you? Every single person you know is one day going to be in that spot. Everyone, including you, including me. I mean, you look around this room right now, Every single person in this room is going to die. It's coming for you. might be some accident. It might be an illness. might be a heart attack. Who knows? Some die young. Some die old. Some die in between. My grandma turns 92 next month, which is pretty amazing. But look, my grandma, she's starting to break down. My grandma, it's not going to be long. You know, she's healthy today. But look, this is coming for all of us. There's a one-to-one ratio between those who are born and those who die, and you're all going to make it. Congratulations. Right? Very uplifting and positive, right? But it, it, this is a serious thing. And so I think any definition of success has to keep this in mind. We're going to stand before God someday. So when you try to define what success means for your life, and you know there's coming a day you're going to stand before God, somehow your definition of success has to include Him. Wouldn't you agree? That if there's a God, we've got to learn how to define a successful life in relationship to him. Now, I realize that not everybody in the room believes there is a God. And that's one of the things I love about Metro. Some people think that's one of the things they criticize Metro for, is that we welcome in people that are at all different stages of spiritual life. Like, there are people in this room, I guarantee in this room, there are some people who aren't yet sure they even believe there is a God. And we're glad you're here. We welcome you here. This is a great place to come. We say this all the time. This is a great place to come and explore and figure things out and express your doubts and ask your questions. We love that here. We're so glad you're here. But if you're here today and you don't believe in God, I just want to challenge you for a minute. I mean, have you ever considered what it would mean for your life if there is a God and you lived like there wasn't one? I mean, you think about this for a minute. You know, most people believe the existence of God is obvious, right? 97.7% of the world believes in a God of some kind. That's a staggering statistic. Atheists tend to be pretty vocal and pretty loud, so you think there are more of them than there really are. They're actually a stark minority. If you look worldwide, only 2.3% of the world population doesn't believe there's a God. And so if you're here today and you don't believe there's a God... How sure are you that 97.7% of the world is wrong, and you're right? How sure are you that almost everybody in this room is wrong, and you're right? What if you're wrong? What if there is a God, and you ignored him? You lived like he didn't exist. Will your life end in success on that day when you stand before God? I think that matters. So I, in my opinion, you've got to define success with God in mind. So in light of that, here's my own personal definition of success. So check this out. You, you tell me what you think of this definition. Success is becoming the person and doing the things that you will not regret the minute after you die and stand before God. Think that's good? Now look, becoming the person... And doing the things that you won't regret the minute after you die. Look, success in life is getting to stand before God and have him look at you and say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Look, if you can get to that day and you can stand before God, and we're all going to have that appointment, if you can stand before God someday and have him look at you and say, Well done. Now, I realize there are some of us in the room, we can't believe such a thing would even be possible. We've done so many things to screw up our lives. We've tried so hard to ruin it. We've lived so often like God didn't exist. And so we've got to talk about this. We've got to figure this out a little bit because the failure or success of our lives hangs in the balance. So you come back to the title of the series, Ruin Your Life in Five Easy Steps. We're going to talk about five of the easiest ways to ruin your life because these are the five ways to live your life as if there is no God. So it begins with this the first easy step to ruining your life is to ignore the law of consequences. There is a law that operates in the world. It's it's called the law of consequences. Now, I call it a law because there's nothing you can do about it. It exists whether you want it to or not. This is just how the world works. Now, I've been reading a book lately by a guy named Steve Farrar, and here's what he says about this. He says, Deeply ingrained into the fabric of all creation is a law that every action must have a reaction. There are no exceptions to the rule. Every choice in life, every thought, every word, every action, brings a return of circumstances with it. This is a law. And so, ignoring this law, ignoring the law of consequences, has been the cause of more broken dreams... More broken relationships, more broken families, more broken bank accounts, and more all around broken lives than almost any other thing. And focusing on this law, which is what we're going to do together tonight, focusing on this law is going to help us. It'll help us identify the right path versus the wrong path. If you're married, focusing on this law will help you stay married. It will. It will heal broken relationships. It will help you raise children who share your values. It will help you put an end to your financial struggles. Focusing on this law will help you become the person and do the things that you won't regret the minute after you die. Focusing on the law of consequences will help you avoid wishing that you'd married differently, help you avoid wishing you'd dated differently, help you avoid wishing you'd spent differently, parented differently, or lived differently. And so here's the way the Apostle Paul put this principle, this law of consequences. This is from the book of Galatians, chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. And so that's a strong way to start a sentence. Imagine somebody approaching you this way. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. There's an urgency in this tone. Whoever sows to please their flesh... From the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. The Apostle Paul is trying to help us understand that the choices that we make in life, the choices we are making in life right now, are leading us down a certain path. At any moment of our lives, we're headed in a certain direction, we're becoming a certain kind of person. We're all sowing something in our lives, and don't be deceived, you will reap what you sow. And so the question for all of us is, what are you currently sowing in your life? Because there's a law that operates in the world. Don't be deceived. You will reap what you sow. So be very careful what you sow. Now, you talk about sowing and reaping, and it gets a little difficult at first because we're not farmers, right? And this is gardening and farming imagery. So these, this wording of sowing and reaping, some people don't even know what those words mean. The, the idea of sowing, think of a gardener or a, or a farmer taking seed and scattering it all over everywhere on the ground. This is what it means to sow. It's to sow the seed. And when you reap, you harvest what you sowed. So here's the way it works for a farmer. If you sow tomatoes, what do you get? Tomatoes right? You don't. If you sow tomatoes, you don't get peaches. It doesn't work that way. You reap what you sow. This is the image. It's such a simple, profound image, but this is the way it works. You don't harvest strawberries if you plant, plant tomatoes. You reap what you sow, and the same thing is true in life, and this is the point that Paul's trying to make. You don't reap financial stability if you sow reckless spending, right? It doesn't work that way, and what something I'm learning in my own life is, you don't reap a healthy marriage if you if you sow selfishness and pride in your home. Now I tell you, I'm learning this in my own life because these are things you got to learn. It matters how you talk to your wife. It matters. Look, you are becoming a certain kind of person. Your marriage is becoming a certain kind of marriage. You will not reap a healthy marriage if you sow selfishness and pride. Those casual, off-the-cuff comments that you don't think matter. They matter. You're starting a direction in your life. You will reap what you sow. Be careful what you sow. You don't reap well-adjusted children if you sow a lack of discipline in their lives. You know, it's very easy to just let your kids get away with stuff when they're young. And then they turn 21, and you reap what you sow. You better be careful how you discipline your kids. It matters. They're becoming a certain kind of person under your leadership. Kids, when your parents are trying to discipline you in some way, they're loving you. Trust me. They're trying to teach you and lead you. This matters. You reap what you sow. This is the law of consequences. If you plant apples, you get apples, not peaches. It's a law and it's unavoidable. And this law of consequences, it not only works outside of us, it also works inside of us. So follow me on this for a minute. Like I said, you're becoming a certain kind of person by the decisions you're making today. Don't assume that you're going to be able to be a different person tomorrow than you're becoming today. That's foolish. That ignores this law. Look at the person you're becoming today. Don't assume you're going to be able to be a different person tomorrow. It matters. If you're sowing lust in your life today, if you're a person that indulges in pornography or erotic romance or any of these sorts of things, if you're sowing these kinds of things in your life today, don't assume you're going to be the kind of person who is able to be faithful to your spouse later on. Don't assume you're going to be able to be a different kind of person. If you are lusting after some man or woman that's not your husband or wife, Don't assume you're going to be able to stop doing that later. You will reap what you sow. If you're sowing drunkenness today, don't assume you'll be the kind of person who can be sober tomorrow. Look, nobody ever planned to become an alcoholic. Be careful. You are on a path. You are sowing something in your life, and you reap what you sow. If you're sowing reckless spending today, don't assume, don't assume you're going to be the kind of person who can be financially stable tomorrow. Look, our, our church over these last number of years, has, we're growing up together around here. It used to be we were a bunch of young people. That's not the case anymore. Many of us in this church, we're approaching years of our lives, where we've got to start thinking about the fact we're not going to be able to work forever. You're going to reap what you sow. Learn how to be responsible with your spending. It'll matter you're becoming a certain kind of person. And many of us in this room have learned this lesson the hard way, haven't we? We, we have learned this lesson the hard way, how easy it is to ruin your life. Anybody ever had a moment where you, you did a little something that ruined your life a bit, right? Said something, did something, something stupid, something you wish you could do, do over? Many of, this, of, of us in this room have ruined our own lives, but also many of us have experienced the pain of having somebody else ruin our lives, haven't we? some of the actions of others because look, this law of consequences and not only applies in your life, it applies to everybody around you. It really is true. The the consequences that come into a family affect the whole family and can extend on down through generations sometimes. Some of us in this room, we have kids who won't speak to us right now because we ignore the law of consequences. We said something or did something to hurt them. Some of us have been abandoned by our fathers because he ignored the law of consequences and became the kind of person who cheats on his wife and abandons his family. We've experienced the pain of this. Some of us are barely scraping by financially because we ignored the law of consequences and didn't plan for our futures. We're reaping what we've sown or we're experiencing the effects of what somebody else has sown in our lives. The law of consequences, it's unavoidable. So I don't think I really have to convince you of this any further. This is real life. You reap what you sow. And when you look into the Bible, there's a story in the Bible that's very dramatic in this. There's a guy in the Bible named King Saul. And we're going to spend the rest of our time together looking at King Saul's story a little bit. King Saul was the first king of Israel. Like He was anointed by God, chosen by God, anointed by the prophet Samuel to be the first king of Israel. Like this guy had it going on. He was in charge of everything. He was God's chosen man. But what we're going to find is that King Saul ignored the law of consequences. He ruined his life. And he's not all that different from you and me. Because the reasons he ruined his life are the same things we deal with day in, day out. I think we're going to find ourselves in this story a little bit. So let's pick it up. 1 Samuel chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Samuel said to Saul... I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. And you read this and you're like, whoa, what? I mean, this is brutal, isn't it? And these are some of these stories in the Bible. When you come to them, you're like, wow, is this, is this God even the same God of the New Testament? Like, this is brutal. How do you explain this? Well, look, you got to understand something. The world that they lived in back then was a very different world from we live in today. Very, very different. It was a hostile, brutal, violent world. And there were threats all around. You think about ISIS and all the terrorism that goes on today. There were entire nations of terrorists back in these days, and it was most of them. Incredibly violent culture. And the Amalekites, uh, they were basically a whole nation of straight-up terrorists. They were ruthless, and it was ingrained into their culture. And their very existence was a constant threat to the survival of the people of God. Where all this began, as you go back to the Exodus story, where Moses was leading the people out of Egypt... And as they're walking through the wilderness, the the Amalekites, out of nowhere, ambushed them for no reason and started slaughtering all the women and children that were at the back of the procession, basically attacking the weakest part of the Israelite nation and slaughtering them for no good reason. Now, in that day, God enabled Israel to survive and he delivered them from Amalek, but there was a prophecy that was made in the wake of this that God said there is coming a day when the wickedness of the Amalekites will be wiped from the face of the earth. And as we approach 1 Samuel 15, the time to execute that sentence has arrived. And you think about this for a minute. If if somebody came into your home and was holding an ax in their hand and was ready to slaughter your children, is that the time to sit down and have a chat? Or is that the time to do anything it takes to take the ax out of their hands? And deliver your people from danger. This is what goes on in the Old Testament. So you just got to understand. This was a father protecting his children. And not only protecting his children. But protecting an entire nation through whom one day the Messiah would come to save the world. And so God has a plan he's working out. He's going to do whatever it takes to protect and preserve his people. This is the same God of the New Testament. It's just that his plan is unfolding. He's protecting and preserving the people through whom Messiah could come to save the world. And sometimes he's got to deal very harshly with people in order to do this. And this is what we see. And so this command comes to Saul to go and and, and attack Amalek, and he does it. So Saul takes this on, and he goes, he takes the army, and he totally destroys the Amalekites. But verse 9 is the problem. I want you to see this. Look at verse 9 of 1 Samuel 15. But Saul and the army spared Agag the king And the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely. Now don't miss that language. God had told them to destroy everything. And look what they're doing. They're sparing everything that's best. They're unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. You see what's going on here. God says not to spare anything But the only thing they destroy is what's weak and despised. They spare the king and everything else that's good. And so Saul disobeys God. And do you think it's going to go well for you when you disobey God? See, there's a law that's at work in the world. The law of consequences. You reap what you sow. If you want the blessing of God on your life, don't reject his will. If you, if you go the opposite direction of where God is headed, if you oppose him and his purposes in the world, you make yourself his enemy. That is a bad place to be. There's a law at work in this world. You cannot avoid it. God cannot be avoided. If you push him away and do the opposite of what he says... The law of consequences become unavoidable. Verse 11 shows God's reaction to Saul's disobedience. First Samuel 15:11, God says this. He says, "I am grieved that I have made Saul king, because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions." Now, this is some good advice. I've put this in my own personal to-do list. You should write this down. Do not grieve God. Write that down and put that in your, your planner. That's good advice. Do not grieve God. And so what God does is he tells the prophet Samuel to go and confront Saul. We see this in verse 12. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and his turn and gone on down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, and look at what Saul says when Samuel gets there. Saul's like, oh boy, the prophet's here. And Saul knows what he did. And he does what a lot of people do when they're confronted with their sin. Here's what Saul says. He says, the Lord bless you. He gets all churchy on him, right? (laughs) The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. And Samuel's like, really? And Saul does here what most people do when they're caught doing something wrong, right? They just deny it. He actually claims that he obeyed. You have to love Samuel's reaction, right? But Samuel says to him, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? See, if you think you can get away with half-hearted obedience to God and incomplete obedience, think again. You can't fool God. There's no fooling Him. You must deal with Him. You disobey Him. It's not going to go well for you. Saul, of course, now he knows he's caught because there's bleeding sheep and lowing cattle, right? So what's he going to say? There they are. He tries to blame it on the people, and I'm sure you've done this a time or two, right? Well, it's not my fault. It's it's these guys' fault. Saul answers, he says, well, the the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. Then he tries to give justification for it. He says, they spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Right? This is like the guy who cheats on his taxes and says, well, but I'm going to give a bigger offering to the church. Right? That's kind of what this is. I mean, he's, he's trying to make a justification for it. Right? He tries to claim they disobeyed God with good intentions so they could worship God with the best of the sheep and cattle. And we do this all the time. We try to justify what we do. Right? We have sex outside of marriage and our excuses, but, but we love each other. God's a God of love. And we ignore the fact that he says, do not have sex outside of marriage. Oh, but we love each other. Right? We cheat on our taxes, like I said. And we we say, well, well, the government's wasteful and irresponsible. I want to give more money to the church. And this is basically what, what Saul says. But nothing, Saul says, will work. He's disobeyed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel's response to him is chilling. In verse 26, here's what he says. He says, you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. Because of Saul's disobedience to God, his lack of repentance and sorrow over it, God is going to reject him and take the kingdom away from him. Saul just ruined his life. And there's no recovering from this. This was not the first time Saul had done this. You read through Saul's entire story. This was a habit in Saul's life. He had become a certain kind of person. The law of consequences had made Saul a certain kind of person. The kind of person who when God says to do one thing, he thinks it's okay to do another. He's ruined his life. And the question is why? You ever... ever, do something stupid, and you just, why did I do that? I mean, it ruined my life. Was it worth it? Right? Why why does Saul do this? Does he really think he's going to get away with this? Does he really think that you can disobey the word of God and still have the blessing of God on his life? I mean, I, I work with the college ministry here at Metro, and I deal with young people all the time, college students, Right? And all of them, they want the blessing of God on their life, right? Yet they don't want to stop having sex with their boyfriend or their girlfriend, right? They want God to bless their marriage one day. And yet, they're basically, to put it bluntly, they're flipping God off. They're having sex anyway when he says not to. And somehow they think God's still going to bless their life, bless their marriage. Look, it's crazy. crazy. It's just a total denial, a total ignoring of this law. Do you really think you can disobey the word of God and still have his blessing on your life? Think again. And I see three reasons. So when I look at Saul's life, I see three reasons that jump out at me why he ignored the law of consequences in his life and ruined his life. And I think these are the same three reasons we do it. They're the same three reasons I've done it, at times in my life, same three reasons I think that you've done it. Why is it that we don't do what God says? I mean, do we really think we know better than him? Do we really think it's going to work out better for us? Are we that crazy? I mean, why? Why do we ever disobey God? What are the reasons? So we're going to get into the psyche of Saul a little bit here. And I think in the process, we're going to get a little bit into our own psyche And so here's the three reasons. I think that the first thing I see is we ignore the law of consequences because of people. Sometimes people are the problem. 1 Samuel 15, 24. Then Saul said to Samuel, I was afraid of the people, so I gave in to them. Do you see what's happening here? So why does Saul disobey God? Because he cares more about what people think than about what God thinks. And isn't this true of us? Isn't it true that that far too often we care more about what other people think than about what God thinks? So we're willing to tell a lie so that we won't get the consequences from people of telling the truth. And yet we, we forget the fact there's a God. Why do you care more about the consequences you'll get from people than the consequences you'll get from God? How crazy are we? But for some reason... We care more about what people think than about what God thinks. The desire to please people is one of the biggest reasons we disobey God. We're afraid that if we obey God, it might cost us some of our friends. Maybe the boy or girl we like won't be interested in us, right? Maybe it'll cost us our job. Maybe people will make fun of us or persecute us in some way. And so we're afraid. We fear people more than we fear God. We value the opinions of people more than we value the opinion of God. And Jesus looked at this problem that he sees in us. We've all dealt with it. These times in our lives where we ignored the consequences that come from God and cared more about the consequences that come from people. And Jesus looks at this tendency of ours, and he's very direct with it. Look at what he says in Luke chapter 12. This is Jesus talking. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. He's like, what's the worst they could do to you, kill you? Big deal. He says, I'll show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now, look, we don't like to talk about hell. Jesus talked about it a lot, more than anybody else in the whole Bible. There is a God. You do not want to oppose him. He is a just and a righteous God. That would be terrifying if he didn't love you and want to save you. But he will not force himself on you. He's a gentleman. He gives you a choice. You can choose to embrace him and trust him or you can choose to reject him. But it will not go well for you if you reject him. There's a law of consequences that comes into place. And the only appropriate response to Jesus when he says, I'll tell you who to fear. Fear him who after your body's killed can throw you into hell. And the only appropriate response is, yes, sir, Jesus, sir. Isn't that right? We need a little good dose of yes, sir, Jesus, sir. To come back into our lives. An appropriate fear of God. The kind of fear that you have when you know someone loves you. But you also know has the power to destroy you if you become his enemy. This is the God that we deal with. It's no wonder that Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's where it starts. An appropriate respect for the God of the universe. Do not disrespect him. It will not go well for you. So the first reason that we ignore the law of consequences is We care more about people than we care about God. it's just silly. You'll ruin your life with that attitude. The the, the second thing is we ignore the law of consequences because of pleasure. This is a big one. Look at 1 Samuel 15, 19. It says, Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? That word pounce is a very strong word. It's like what a dog does when when he pounces like a hungry dog ready to fill its belly, you know. They're driven by a lust for the pleasure of the meat. Now, the custom in those days is, if you made the sacrifice, you got to eat the meat. And they they talk about, oh, we we saved it so we can make the sacrifice. Yeah, okay, well, Saul and the people, what really was going on here, Saul and the people took more pleasure in the meat of sheep and oxen than they did in the smile and fellowship of God they traded the fellowship and blessing of God for steak and hamburgers. I mean, that's really what's going on here. This is, and this is what we all do every time we sin. And, and we need to come to grips with this. Stop making excuses for our sin. Call it what it is. When you sin against God, you are trading Him for something else. You are preferring something else over His blessing and fellowship in your life finding more pleasure in it sin is the dark exchange where we trade god for something else and it's been going on from the beginning we've all done it adam and eve started it they traded god for a piece of fruit how crazy is that and so what is it for you what pleasure are you trading god for what do you enjoy more than god are you trading god for pornography Are you trading God for sex outside of marriage? Are you trading God for drugs or alcohol? Are you trading God for the gluttony of food? Trading God for sports or entertainment? Are you trading God for 50 shades of gray? Did he just say that? (laughs) I did just say that. No, listen. Listen. It is striking and shocking and troubling to me how many people who call themselves Christians are indulging in this filth. What are, you, what are we thinking? Do you, do you really think it's going to go well for you? You are becoming the kind of person, if you're married, I know married people, married women, that are into this stuff. Listen, you're becoming the kind of person who's emotionally unfaithful to your husband, having fantasies independently of your husband. You're becoming the kind of person who's an emotional adulteress. I know that sounds harsh. Jesus said it, not me. Look, this matters. There's a law of consequence. We're becoming certain kind of people. If we indulge in these things, listen, if we indulge in pornography and erotic romance stories, we shouldn't be surprised when we don't have the blessing of God in our current or future marriages. It should not surprise us. What kind of people are we becoming? Do not be deceived, you will reap what you sow. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. The law of consequences. You know the craziest thing about exchanging God for something else, the pleasure of God for the pleasure of anything else, is it's just a bad trade. I mean, it's a terrible trade. Do do you know it says in Psalm 1611 that in God's presence is fullness of joy? And at his right hand are everlasting pleasures. Now, listen, there's nothing that compares to that. Every other pleasure is not full enough. Every other pleasure just doesn't last long enough. It's just a bad trade. Steak and hamburgers is a bad trade. Pornography, it's a bad trade. Drugs and alcohol, it's a bad trade. Fifty Shades of Grey, bad trade. God is just better. Look, any time you disobey, be honest with yourself, every time you disobey, it's because you really believe in that moment that something is better than God. And I'm going to tell you where that belief will get you. It will ruin your life. One, because you've got God to deal with where you're trading Him, preferring other things above Him. But just secondarily, nothing else is as good He's the best thing going all day long. And it's a bad trade. We ignore the law of consequences because of people, because of pleasure. And thirdly, we ignore the law of consequences because of pride. Immediately after Saul had defeated the Amalekites, the first thing he does is he builds a monument to himself. Look at this, verse 12. Samuel is told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor. So Saul is more interested in getting a name for himself than in making a name for God. So he does things his own way. Now, look, very few things will separate you faster from God than pride. In fact, you might make the argument, this is the root sin behind all other sin. This is what gets you to actually believe that somehow your way is better than his. That you actually might be better off if you disobey him. It comes from this thing called pride. But the scripture says that God opposes the proud. I don't want to be in opposition to God. We become his enemies. That's just a bad idea. Saul's pride causes him to seek praise for himself through rebellion against God. And it doesn't get any worse than this. Look at verse 23. Rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Now, don't let the old-fashioned word divination throw you. All divination means is that you're looking for guidance from some source other than God. That's what divination is. It's looking for spiritual guidance somewhere other than God. When, when, When you look somewhere else, it's seeking to know what to do in a way that ignores the word and counsel of God. God says one thing, and we say, I think I'll consult another source. And what we do more often than not, the source we consult is the one that looks back at us in the mirror. And we become our own God in that moment. Disobedience to God is when I put my wisdom above God's wisdom, the essence of pride, and we worship ourselves instead of God, and the scripture says we become idolaters. So listen, friends, if we we ignore the law of consequences... It's not going to go well with us. We will reap what we sow. This is God's world. It operates based on his laws. And the law of consequences is one of his cheap laws. You will reap what you sow. And so at this point in the message, and we only got a few minutes left, you're sitting here thinking, wow, this is heavy and it's hard. And it's because I know I I sin all the time. Like, what hope is there for me? Well, (laughs) let me tell you about the law of consequences. It's two-sided. It does have a negative side. There's another side to this. The law of consequences does not have to be your enemy. It can become your friend. Look at this. It's not just a negative law. It's also a positive one. Go back to Galatians 6 for a minute. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. But listen to this. Whoever sows to please the Spirit... From the Spirit, will reap eternal life. There's a whole other side to this. Yes, if we sow to please the flesh because of people in pleasure and pride, we will reap destruction. We will ruin our lives. We will ruin our marriages. We will ruin our friendships. We will ruin our children. We will ruin our finances. But if we sow to please the Spirit of God, from the Spirit, we will reap the fruit of the Spirit. You know what the fruit of the Spirit is? It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's goodness, it's gentleness, it's kindness, it's self-control, right? If you sow to the Spirit, you will reap from the Spirit eternal life and love and joy and peace. And let me tell you something, because of God's grace to us, because of what Jesus came into the world to do by dying on a cross for our sins, the fruit of our lives, the direction of our lives, What we're sowing and reaping in our lives can literally change in a moment. And all it takes is faith. Put your faith in Jesus and trust him. And the whole direction of your life can change. Go back to my dad's story for a minute. Because working as the janitor of a strip club was not the end of my dad's story. Being an alcoholic who'd ruined his life was not the end of my dad's story. See, one day when my dad was walking home from work, from the strip club where he worked, he's walking because he didn't have a driver's license, he's walking home from work, and out in the, he walks by a church. And out in the yard of the church, there are some, there's a guy out there working in the yard, and he's just planting some flowers and tending to the yard outside the church. As my dad walks by, he strikes up a conversation with my dad. He talks to him. He shares Jesus with him. Invites him to church. The next Sunday, my dad goes to church. Here's the gospel of Jesus Christ, preached with power and passion. Puts his faith in Jesus and dramatically was converted. And from that day forward, his life dramatically changed. He became a completely different person. Let me tell you what happened to my dad. He he quit his job at the strip club. He went back to school, got a real estate license, started working a real job, put some money together, started a nonprofit organization called the Lighthouse Fund, whose mission it was to help troubled women. And many of the women he helped were the very same ones he worked with in the strip club. Listen. Let me tell you something. My dad's conversion to Christ was dramatic. He had sowed to the flesh and had reaped destruction. But when he put his faith in Jesus, the law of consequences in my dad's life got flipped on its head. As he started sowing in his life to the Spirit, and started reaping the fruit of the Spirit. And let me tell you where I fit into this story. I stand on the stage today as fruit that was reaped. Listen, my journey to Christ, the depth of my love for Christ, has a lot to do with what I saw him do in my dad's life. Taking a broken man and completely raising him from the dead and restoring him to a life of purpose and meaning And he was 44 years old when he came to Christ. So listen, there's hope for you. It's never too late. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how many mistakes you've made. I don't care how far you've fallen. I don't care how hard you've tried to ruin your life. There is a power in the law of consequences that when you put your faith in Jesus and you start sowing to the Spirit based on that faith, God doesn't ask you to earn anything from Him. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to deserve it. All you have to do is trust Him. And when you do, you just start doing what He says. And your whole life changes. Everything changes for you. So we've got to get this. There's a law at work in the world you will reap what you sow. Many of us are living the pain of that today. Look, I've made my fair share of mistakes in life. I have tried real hard at times to ruin my own life. But when you come to Jesus and you put your faith in Him, He will restore you. And when you stand before God one day, the only thing He's going to look for is faith. He's going to want to know did you trust me? When I told you what to do, did you trust me? And you can become, from this day forward, if not before, you can become the kind of person who does the things that you will not regret the minute after you die and stand before God. And it is not too late for you to stand before Him one day and have Him look at you and say, well done, well done. Done. I can't wait to go to heaven one day and be with my dad again. I can't wait to hear the same thing my dad got to hear and to talk about what God had done. I want that to be the story of my life. I want that to be my legacy. Don't you? Don't you want this for your life? Don't you want to be successful in life, which means becoming the kind of person and doing the things that you will not regret the minute after you die and stand before God and hear him say, well done. Let's do this together, amen? Let's stand to our feet together and we'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your warnings. Even the warnings are love to us. God, help us to heed the warnings. Help us to look to you and see you as the best of all possible options because that's what you are. You are the path of life. You are fullness of joy. You are everlasting pleasure. Nothing compares to you, God. Help us to get this straight. Help us to put our faith in you and trust you. You've demonstrated your love for us that while while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Greater love has no one than this. How can we possibly turn from you to anything else? Be the treasure of our lives, God. Help us to trust you, obey you, live for you. To sow to the Spirit of God and reap the fruit of eternal life by faith and faith alone. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're gonna do. I pray you would do it for all of us. For the glory of your name, amen. Amen.